you have your Bibles and want to turn with me, we're going to be looking at a story that we've been looking at all month in Luke. We're in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 31. And what we've been looking at all month is we've been thinking about the theme of spiritual renewal and refreshment. We're normally going through the Gospel of Matthew and taking a break for that, and we'll start again after Labor Day. And we're looking at this story um, of Simon Peter. It's kind of a case study on a situation that Jesus says, this situation is the kind of situation where um, I, only prayer can get you through. And there's a couple things that we've seen. We saw a couple weeks ago that what Jesus says is he tells Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked, he's demanded to sift you. So what Satan is doing is he wants to take the disciples and he wants to grab them and he wants to shake them. He wants to shake them up. And that's not only what he wants to do for Peter. We saw that that's what he's trying to do to everyone. And this past year and a half has been one gigantic global sifting where it's just everyone's being shaken. And then we looked at last week. So Satan is, is shaking. And then Jesus' response is that Jesus is praying and we thought, right, Jesus is praying, you know, how is that good news? And one of the things we saw is that when you really understand Jesus' present ministry of praying for his people, it's one of the most soul-strengthening, encouraging truths you can ever know. And what we want to look at today is, all right, Jesus is praying, Satan's shaking, Jesus is praying, but what's he actually praying for? Is he praying for the circumstances to change? Is he praying for what? And what he's praying for is he tells Peter, he says, I'm praying that your faith won't fail. So it's in times of difficulty, in times of stress, in times of darkness, the great challenge is to have your faith not fail. So a faith that's not failing. And so you think about it. I mean, we kind of know what, we're, what situation we're in if you have a loved one who's uh, having some type of surgery and you're in the waiting room. And then the doctor comes out and says, it, it, there's more complications than we anticipated. What the challenge right now is we're trying to keep maybe one of the vital organs, maybe the lungs from failing. So for a vital organ to fail, you instantly know what kind of situation you're in. Or if you're on a plane and you start experiencing all types of turbulence and you overhear the pilot say that he's trying to keep the engine from failing, like you understand what type of situation that is. Or you have a, a meeting with your child's teacher and they tell you, all right, we have, you know, your child is failing this. You understand, all right, what needs to happen? What type of situation we're in? So what type of situation are we, are we in when Jesus says the danger is that your faith fails? So we know it's bad if an organ fails <clears throat> or an engine fails, but what does it mean for your faith to fail? And so this week, we're going to look at that, and we're going to ask a couple different questions. We want to ask one, um, why does Satan want his faith to fail? Why faith? And then when does Satan expect his faith to fail? And then how do we keep our faith from failing? So let's look at the first one. Why does Satan want his faith to fail? Why is faith the central focus of the enemy's attack. Why does he attack faith? I mean, think about all the things he says. All right, um, in this moment, I'm going to attack your compassion. I'm going to attack your intelligence. I'm going to attack your love. I'm going to attack your hope. It, none of those. Why does he attack faith? He doesn't say, I want your doctrine to fail, your theology to fail. His main assault go, is upon his faith. Why? It seems, all right, that's the vital point. That's the front line of the battle. He's going to, that's the tip of the spear where all of his ammunition is going is to attack the faith. 
So a couple things I think. Why is faith the central point that he wants to attack? And one I think is because faith is the, the founder of all the other graces. You know, in one sense, faith is the beginning. It's the founder or the foundation. We begin by faith. Faith is the point of contact, but the first point of contact between a believing soul and the risen Christ. It's, you know, we're justified by faith. This is how it all begins. So in one sense, he knows if he can attack and strike at the foundation, the founder of your life, then he's got you. Because without faith... It's impossible to please God. No matter any other thing you do, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So faith is the founder. That's why he attacks. But also faith is the leader. I read this quote from, I want to read a longer quote from a Charles Spurgeon's sermon uh, on this passage. And he says, faith is the leader of the graces in the daily battle. It says, faith, if I may say so, is the leader of the graces in the daily battle. And hence, Satan says to his demonical archers, fight neither with small nor great, save only the king of Israel. Shoot at faith. Kill his faith. And if faith be slain, where is love? If faith be slain, where is hope? If faith be slain, where is repentance? Where is your patience? If faith be conquered, it is as if the standard bearer fainteth and the victory is virtually won by the arch enemy if he is able to conquer faith. For faith is the noble chieftain among all of our graces. That's Beautiful poetic language, isn't it? And he gives this image. All right, faith is kind of like, you know, to update the analogy, it's kind of like, all right, if you have this battalion of soldiers who are uh, fighting behind enemy lines, faith is kind of like their sergeant. He's their leader. He's the one leading them in to battle. And we even use the phrase, you fight the good fight of Faith, it leads all the others. So maybe one image, you can almost think about like the fruits of the Spirit as almost like a, uh, a company of soldiers. And faith is the thing that's going to give them energy and direction and tell them where to go and, and give your love energy and your peace and your patience. It's going to lead them. It's like Isaiah 7, 9, where Isaiah tells uh, Ahaz when he gives him this tremendous promise to trust in the Lord and uh, not give way to fear to the rise of the kingdoms of the north. And he says, if you don't stand firm in your faith, you won't stand at all. So it's the leader uh, of, of the company of all the other spiritual graces. So it's the founder, the leader. But faith is also the sustainer. You know, it's what fuels the other graces. You know, when your faith is low, your love is just going to burn feebly. You know, when your faith is low, your, your courage will be very wobbly. You know, faith is the very heart of all these other things. That's why Paul says that it's the, the righteous, the just, they live by faith. This is how we live. It's what fuels us. It's the source of our life. So faith sustains all the other graces. You know, before we started this sermon series on Matthew, uh, that's turned out to be a whole lot longer than I anticipated. I was wrestling with uh, doing a series where I wanted to run in parallel and talk about the life of faith and run in parallel Romans as our manual for faith and Abraham as our example for faith. I think there's some fascinating parallels and kind of weaving the two as Romans is like our manual for how we live the life of faith. And Abraham is an example of living the life of faith. But we live. Faith is what sustains us. And then faith is also the protector 
of all the other graces. That's why Paul says when he's given the, the, the armor for spiritual warfare, he says, above all, take up the shield of faith because it's what's going to protect you. It's going to protect your mind. It's going to protect your heart. It's going to protect your will and your walk. So he knows, the reason why he attacks faith, because he knows if he can attack this and you fail here, you'll fail everywhere else. So that's why he's attacking faith. But I find it really interesting now, when does Satan choose to attack Peter's faith? Why doesn't he wait till like the moment when Peter is standing strong and he's confident and he's, you know, making tremendous pronouncements uh, about, you know, Jesus is the Christ and all these kind of moments where Peter's strong. Why does he wait till one of the darkest moments of Peter's life? One of the most fear filled days in his life. See, Satan expects his faith to fail because he knows he's about to walk through a night of total darkness. And you walk through the Bible, it's one of these themes that one of the themes about, it's the theme of darkness. And when you walk through, that's when the faith is challenged. Or the theme of the wilderness. When you walk through the wilderness, that's when your faith is really challenged. So let's look at this second thing. When does Satan expect his faith to fail? Why this night? Of all nights. And actually, one of the things you can see is this is one of the great themes all throughout the Bible that it's when we enter into the darkness or the desert, the wilderness. That's when the faith is really tested. And one of the beautiful things about the way uh, the Bible works is often you can see in the structure the point of the stories. And in Exodus, in Exodus 14 through 18, one of the, the themes is they've been redeemed out of slavery through a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. God has redeemed them and he's taking them. But in chapter 14 through 18, they're actually passing out of slavery through the wilderness up to Mount Sinai, where they come to Sinai to enter into the Lord's presence. And the big question is they're going through the wilderness their faith is going to be tested. And it gets tested on two questions. Will he protect us? And will he provide for us? And you even see the structure. Will he protect us in chapter 14 from Pharaoh? Pharaoh's coming and he's coming on behind them and he's going to destroy them. Will he protect us? And then three cycles of stories right now that we're, we're protected from Pharaoh, but will he provide in the wilderness? Where will we go to get water? Will he provide food? Will he provide water? And then it concludes with a final story of uh, um, Amalek attacking from the rear. And the question once again is, will he protect us? And so that's the question. And you're in the wilderness. You're, the, the faith will be shaken because you're wondering, will he really protect and will he really provide? And it's worth thinking about in this story and in Peter's story. Like, why does God send them into the wilderness? You know, in this story, it says specifically God sent them this way. Why? In this story with Peter, Jesus tells Peter, Satan has asked to sift you, and I've prayed for you. And Peter could think, well, great, why didn't you just say no? <laughs> he asked to, to, like, send me through this difficult situation. You could have said no, couldn't you? So why does Jesus, like, why does God send the Israelites through the wilderness? Why does Jesus let Satan sift him? And, you know, one of the great challenges is that, or one of the great beautiful truths is that almost every time someone in the Bible uh, meets God in this unique, powerful, profound way, have you ever thought how often it's in the wilderness? 
like Jacob meets him in the wilderness, Moses in the wilderness, Hagar in the wilderness, Elijah in the wilderness, John the Baptist is in the wilderness. And you think, all right, why? Why does God send us through the wilderness? And you just think about it, you know, kind of the, the common sense answer. You all know that uh, it's really difficulties, it's really sufferings, it's trials that make, uh, that deepen our character, that make us people of, of depth. You know, kind of people who've lived completely sheltered or charmed lives, you know how often they're really shallow or superficial? You know, it, you, depth of character really only comes through passing through the wilderness. And that's a challenge for us in this community because one of the Years ago, I read this article called The National Pastime, and it was primarily talking about uh, parents at elite-level schools like in New York City, where their national pastime is to try and place their children on the conveyor belt that's going to lead to success. And you can feel that. Like, if you can go to Amazing Explorers and you can feel the anxiety of the parents that I have to have my kids starting at two on the conveyor belt of STEM success because if, I mean, if they're not reading when they're two, then of course they're going to fail their Play-Doh test in kindergarten. And then if they fail that, then first grade is going to be a disaster and then they'll never get into college and never get a job. So this idea that you had to push them on this conveyor belt of success. And the guy who wrote this article, The National Pastime, was kind of joking because if you look in world history, most of the people who had the most significant impact actually lost one of their parents in childhood. So I don't think you want to put that on your to-do list. And so you think, why is that? Why is it that we have to pass through the difficulty? Because it's what's in the wilderness that the faith gets tested and it either destroys or it thrives. It grows, but that's where it gets Tested. Can you trust him to protect you, to provide for you? Can you trust him? And see, Peter knew that. He knew what it was like to pass through the darkness. That's why in 1 Peter chapter 1, he tells them that the, the, that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, once it's been tested and passed through the fire. So your faith will be more precious than gold, but it has to go through the fire first to be refined. So Satan knows in this dark night, I'm going to come after you. And it's a gamble because either Peter will rise stronger or he'll be destroyed. So as we think about that, how do we protect our faith? What's the next thing? That's when he goes after it. But how do we actually protect our faith from failing? And this past year, when we went through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you know, at least for me personally, it was such a uh, uh, mind-shaping series. And one of the things I keep coming back to over and over is Jesus' conclusion, where he says, the storm is coming. Like, there is a storm coming, and the only way you're going to stand is if you build your life on the rock. If you're not built on the rock, the storm's coming, and you're going to be washed away. It's coming. And what does it mean to build your life on the rock? You have to hear these words of mine and then do them. So the only way you can get your faith where it doesn't fail is if you have to hear his voice and then obey. Hear and heed. Hear and do. So the first thing, faith comes by hearing. That's why I like in Romans 10 where Paul says, How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe on him who they've never heard? How can you have faith? How can you believe if you don't hear? 
And then, um, and how are they going to hear without someone preaching? So it's preaching that begins the faith. It's hearing his voice proclaimed from his word. It begins with preaching. So faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. So faith begins by hearing. That's why Peter also is going to, he's going to beg when he writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, you have to crave the pure milk of the word. That's the only thing that's going to sustain your life. It's the only thing that's going to sustain your faith. It begins by hearing. And one of the most difficult challenges in this past year is figuring out how can you keep a regular sustained habit of Bible input, hearing the word. We were kind of teasing with some folks and kind of joking because, you know, in, in um, June or July, whatever month, we, we took the month off. And then we, we, we came, uh, July, we came to, you know, we came to church and folks were kind of teasing us like, oh, we thought you were going to, you'd be gone. Why, you know, you coming to check in on everybody, make sure we're all doing it right. And we were kind of teasing, well, no. And kind of the back of my mind, I was like, well, no, I mean, we're, we're coming because this is our church and we're sinners, <laughs> Like, we're coming because we need to hear the word, and our faith won't survive if we don't. And one of the most important things in your life is figure out, all right, in this season of upheaval, how in the world do I make it a steady, sustained habit to hear the word? And notice, it's the word of Christ. That's one of the reasons we're so committed to preaching the word, because you do not need any more political pontifications from anyone else. That's not going to sustain you. The thing you need more than anything else is the word of Christ. You hear it. And faith begins with hearing the word. But then it's not enough just to hear. You have to obey. You have to do it. You have to put it in practice. It's by doing you know, you can look at like Hebrews 11, maybe one exercise you could do to kind of strengthen your faith is just read through Hebrews 11 and mark everything that happens because of faith. You know, by faith, what there were certain things they believed, there were certain difficulties they endured, there were certain things they did. You know, it's this great hall of faith, you know, faith... Um, Faith doesn't fail. It was faith that quenched the fire, that stopped the mouth of the lions, that raised the dead, that defeated the enemies. It was faith that encouraged them. It was faith that caused them to endure. So that's one thing. All right, what type of things does, does faith do? You can look at Hebrews 11. Actually, I want to look at this section from Luke. Because you go through Luke's gospel, and what Luke does is gives you a series of unnamed, generally, and normally almost unnoticed characters, they're, they're unnamed normally and unnoticed by the people all around them. And, uh, and what you see is in each case, they do something and then Jesus actually celebrates their faith. He celebrates. He praises their faith. So you can kind of walk through Luke and see examples of people whose faith is not failing. And what does it look like? So like in Luke chapter 5, verse 20, you have the friends who open up a hole in which is probably Peter's house roof, and they drop their friend down because they can't get him to Jesus. And Jesus praises. He celebrates their faith. And what you see in their story is, all right, what does faith do? Faith is self-sacrificial to serve others. 
And one of the challenges in times like this, your faith can fail because we can become so naturally protective and insular. And I have to protect me and mine. And it turns us, it twists us from looking to sacrificially serve others. But if that's a danger for you, you're in danger of your faith failing. Or you look at chapter 7 where the story of the centurion who his servant is sick and he wants to go get Jesus to come and the Jewish leaders say, this man is worthy. You have to come heal him. He, he built our synagogue. He's worthy. And then he uh, meets Jesus halfway and says, I'm not worthy even for you to come to, into my house. If you just say the word, I'm a man under authority. I give commands. People obey. If you just give the command, he will be healed. And Jesus marvels and says so he marvels at his faith. Because his faith is both humble in himself, I'm not worthy, but your word, you just say the word, and he's convinced about his power. And one of the dangers in times like this is we become much more uh, confident in our own ability to understand and perceive situations and our own opinions, and we can lose our faith in the power of his word. And it's the centurion or the woman in chapter 7, the woman who washed his feet with her, her tears. And Jesus praises her, praises her faith. You know, the disciples criticize her for this lavish act of love. It's so irresponsible. But he praises her faith. You have the woman who had the bleeding for 12 years and it couldn't stop. And everything she tried in chapter 8. And uh, she comes and she thinks, if I can just get close and touch him, I will be made whole. And Jesus praises her, says, your faith it's your faith that's healed you. This is faith that's not failing, that knowing that if I can just stay close to him, he will provide. He will protect. Or in chapter 17, where Jesus uh, heals, cures the 10 lepers. And it's some, or maybe it was 12, I can't remember the number. Uh, most of them go away after they're healed, and only one or two even come back to give thanks. And when they come back, he praises their thankfulness, their gratitude. And he, he says, by faith, you return to give thanks. And in times like this, one of the challenges is to lose our sense of gratitude. But it's faith that fuels that. So what do you do when you feel your faith is in danger? You, know, you hear the pilot over the intercom or you hear the word from the doctor or the word from your teacher. Where do you go? You know, there's some interesting things that Peter did. It's really interesting to kind of compare. We'll do this a little more next week, but compare Peter's response to Judas's. Because they both, uh, Satan, in essence, uh, embodies in Judas and then uh, attacks Peter. But they have different responses. But what did Peter do? You know, he, uh, when Jesus looks at him, he, he weeps. And then he doesn't justify. He doesn't blame shift. He, he runs out. Then he doesn't hide. He stays with his, his people. But we'll look at that more next week as we think. Uh, but now, let's not think so much about Peter, but let's think about our own faith. You know, have you been this year passed through a season of shaking? You know, are you greatly troubled? And one of the things Jesus is praying is that your faith won't fail. You know, have you been shaken? Have you been severely tried? We pray that your faith won't fail. And maybe this past year, Satan's whispered into your ear, you need to give up all of this. I mean, this nonsense, how can you be connected with those loony people who act this way? How can you believe these things? How could, how could, how could? And it's tempted to turn your back and give up on these things. And you can say, like Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Where else am I going to go? For you, 
have the words of life. Or maybe you've been tempted uh, that he whispers, you know, all of that thing, all those things he's saying may be true for other people, but it's not true for you. I mean, think about who you really are. We know that deep down you're a pretender. You're a hypocrite. And you need, uh, so that's what he's whispering, trying to make your faith to fail. But you need to hear Jesus say, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for sinners. I came for people who know they're pretenders and feel that they're hypocrites and repent of it, who don't like it. And so there's all different ways he'll come and he'll whisper into you wanting your faith to fail. And maybe you've never turned to him at all. And you turn to him and cast yourself upon his blood and seek his forgiveness. But he's praying for his people. So where are you today? This past year, have you passed through the waters? If you have, then his encouragement for you, if you're a believer, you're not going to drown. Or if you, you know, that image of the battle, if you've been into the spiritual battle and you said, yeah, I have this shield of faith, I look at it and it looks like it's just been sprayed with arrows, but you're still here. You're still surviving. Trust him, cling to him. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take some extra kind of extended time to to pray for people in different situations who are really challenging and they're tempted to have their faith to fail. Each week we take communion. And one of the great gifts at his table is we don't just receive his word, but we actually get to bring to him our request and our desires. And so let's take a few moments and let's just pray. So maybe if you've come this morning and you've passed through the waters And you recognize, yes, he's tried to shake my faith and then ask him to help you. And maybe there's someone you know and love and care for, a friend, family, who this past year has really passed through the waters. They've been shaken and you want to pray for them. Join Jesus as he prays that their faith won't fail. And now may the love of a dying Savior, the power of a risen Savior, and the hope of a returning Savior be yours now, this week, forever and always. Amen. Go in peace.